As a human rights activist, my work is driven by the desire to implement positive change in our societies that advocate for the marginalized. As a woman and an intersectional feminist, I know firsthand that our societal structures still lack the adequate means of protection, liberation, and equality for women. As a mom of two daughters, I often think about the type of world that awaits my daughters as they venture out to discover who they are and who they want to be. Will it give them the same opportunities as their white male counterparts? Will it embrace them with all their flaws? Will it celebrate their womanhood as a strength or will it weaponize it against them? These are the questions that I constantly struggle with and think about. But I find myself equally inspired by the women who bring these same concerns to the public sphere. These are the women who disrupt spaces that were never meant to include them. The women who reject calls for being passive and instead choose to use their voices to champion for our continuous liberation. These women remind me that we have come a long way, but there is still more to be done. It gives me great hope to know that among them, my daughters and I are in good company. Our guest today is one of these amazing women. She is an artist who uses her work to shed light on critical social issues and celebrate the women who are leading them. Last year, she compiled these portraits to honor 50 inspirational Pakistani women from various walks of life in a book titled Pakistan for Women. Please welcome Maliha Abidi. I didn't realize it in that moment, but I can recall some comments here and there where I was supposed to feel inferior just because I'm a girl in Pakistan and I never felt like that in that moment I never thought that it's about gender I thought it's just about an individual you know maybe that person sees me as an inferior but now that I think about it now when my brain kind of connects connects those thoughts um, I can see that it was definitely about gender so Malia I will start with your book, Pakistan for Women, which was published almost a year ago, and then you took it on the road. Now that it's been a year, how do you feel? Um, so it doesn't feel like it's been over a year, firstly. And oh, actually, thank you so much for having me on your podcast. Firstly, I should thank you first uh, before answering the question. And then, yeah, it doesn't feel like that it has been a year because, yeah, it's just, it's a constant adventure with the book because like I get messages from people, you know, who have read the book, who have heard about it. And I just feel really happy every time I see any comment related to the book or a message. Sometimes young girls, they take out time to write, you know, messages to me or emails to me that they're so happy to see representation. You know, brown girls like them are represented in the in a book like Pakistan for Women. So I absolutely feel so happy about it. Malia, were there any surprises along the way? Did you discover anything that you weren't expecting you would discover about women in Pakistan? So I grew up in Pakistan, so I never kind of 
took Pakistan for, you know, uh, obviously I didn't take the media's word for it even when I moved out of Pakistan. So uh, I already knew my country pretty well, you know, I was born and raised there. But honestly, I didn't know about some of the communities within Pakistan because Pakistan is a very diverse country we have people from all different backgrounds so i was really happy to learn about different people from different backgrounds but at the same time some of those people they were mistreated uh by you know the majority because they're a minority in pakistan so that was kind of quite disturbing to me because you know to see that there's an entire side of pakistan that i wasn't that aware of and I also was happy to see that how these minorities stood up against any injustice that they saw. Of course, it wasn't easy because when you're a minority or when you think that you're weak, you know, it's not always easy to take a stand. But I'm really happy to discover stories where women like Viru Kohli stood up against violence and just unfairness, a system that was designed as a modern-day slavery uh, against people like her, and she escaped it. And an amazing surprise that I, you know, when I was researching story of Viru Kohli, she went to the police first, and the police didn't help, but uh, then she was directed towards the Human Rights Commission of Pakistan. And Asma Jangir, who's another woman in my book and she's a she was a human rights activist and a uh, and a human rights lawyer she was the one who co-founded the human rights commission in pakistan so it's incredible what a, what one woman did and it helped another woman and that woman was able to help other people in, in her community so it's incredible like how our stories connect to one another but yeah, there was a lot I didn't know. There was a lot I learned through this entire project. So Malia, I also want to talk about what you think about what's going on around the globe right now. And I want to mention a specific post that I saw on Instagram, your Instagram recently, which is getting a lot of attention. In that post, you basically talk about racism versus colorism. And I want to bring this up because you've mentioned how minorities are treated, how people are discriminated against. And I I think this is a good segue into that post. First, I want you to talk a little bit about the post itself before we do a deep dive in it. And what triggered you to create that post on Instagram? So that post, it it was something that was on my mind for for I would say several weeks now because since we have um, you know we have this huge conversation around the globe going on about racial injustice and the and police brutality and especially against the black community during all of this time I saw tweets and Facebook posts and just in general conversations from people from my community um, from the Pakistani community from Indian community from uh, people from Bangladesh, you know, like all, all South Asian people, various South Asian people. And I saw that how they were sharing about their experiences of feeling like they felt that they were discriminated against because of the color of their skin. That is horrible. Colorism is horrible. But the experiences they were talking about was, oh, a girl at school called me dark. 
and now she's posting about Black Lives Matter. Uh, when I was in that grade, a teacher called me dark or a relative of mine called me that, oh, I should use a fairness cream or, you know, like these things exist and they they're absolutely devastating and they're disgusting. Colorism is, you know, it, it should not be uh, acceptable at all. But I, at the same time, I just felt like that what you're talking about, about your experiences, while that's horrible, what you went through, it does not compare to what Black people in America or Black people around the world uh, are going through because it's not limited to their the color of their skin because within the black community as well we have people who are uh, lighter skin they obviously skin tones vary so it's not limited racism is not limited to the skin tone it's 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 racism is connected to the roots of those people so it's not it's not that if a person is super dark that's why they're going through racism People in America, black people in America, they're going through racism because they're Africans. They're African-Americans. And their history, it just, and there's a system designed against them. Of course, there, there's, it is designed against uh, people of color, other people of color as well. But what black people go through in America, we cannot just say that, oh, we understand that as brown people just because our skin tone is um you know brown or dark brown or you know we we i just i just felt like that it's kind of watering down what what we're talking about and it's distracting from the conversation that so many of us are trying to have if i understand that some people want to be a part of the conversation but i think the best way to do that is to listen if you are not sure about something just listen to you know other black uh, other black people in the community read about it watch documentaries on it uh, i would re- recommend watching 13th by ava duvernay it's an amazing documentary it's absolutely heartbreaking but it's amazing because it teaches like it opens up your eyes to a, a very unfair system so that's that's what was in my mind when i was creating that art piece and it was just something that i just i just thought that had to be said and i used my platform to say it that's a great point that you're making, Maliha, because you are drawing a clear distinction between anti-black racism and colorism. However, colorism builds on racism, right? It is obviously not as crucial to talk about right now, especially with this renewed commitment to fighting against racial injustices, especially in America and systemic racism that we've seen that has been specifically targeted at the black community. But at the same time, don't you think it's important to have these conversations in parallel? Because most of the time, especially with migrant populations, are bias probably stems from colorism, colorism that we've experienced in our countries and how our brains have been trained to be more receptive to whiteness and to try to assimilate in white culture or adopt white culture more versus how we are towards the black community. So how do we do that? How do we uh, make sure that we are not taking away from a very important conversation, but at the same time, we have these conversations about 
colorism because honestly uh, south asians have not had these conversations in the past and it's a watershed moment in a way where they are realizing how colorism impacts our inherent biases so i absolutely do not think that we need to have a parallel conversation where on one side we are talking about uh where we're talking about colorism and racism side by side i think there's plenty of time to talk about colorism right now we have a conversation going on about racism and we should especially racism against black people and we're talking about black lives so we need to talk and focus on that because a, a very obvious thing is that it's not that easy to get people talking about something something that triggered this because black people have died even before mr floyd so before that unfortunate murder of mr floyd but this was a trigger that was and and we and there have been protests in the past as well about uh, other innocent black lives where they were taken away but this what we are seeing right now we need to keep it going we cannot get distracted it is obviously it's not as bad as saying all lives matter when someone says black lives matter but i think talking about colorism right now i think we as south asians as brown people we need to stand next to our our black bl- brothers and sisters because if we if we start talking about oh if like imagine a conversation where there's a black person sitting and there's a brown person sitting and the black person is saying you know i fear for my life because i'm black and i've seen so many black people die in my community and then the brown person saying yeah i totally understand what you're going through because i felt really sad because this one auntie called me dark brown and she discriminated against me or she said i'm not as pretty like these conversations it just seems really of course it's not limited to like you know just your looks uh, you're discriminated against uh based on your skin color on a lot of levels but i just think that right now there're more than there're better ways to be a part of the conversation i think a better way to have this conversation is once we take care of some things uh within the black lives matter uh, movement for example we get some we keep the pressure going we help change some laws we uh, help bring justice to a lot of um campaigns that are going on right now and once we do that then we can talk about maybe it could be a domino effect we don't know we don't know what what justice will bring maybe justice will bring more than justice you know we can maybe it'll be a domino effect where once we get rid of so many things within within this racist system um if we bring those things down maybe colorism won't even exist you know i completely agree with you that we cannot equate discrimination based on somebody's skin color in a predominantly brown population to anti-black racism which is systemic which has been going on for centuries which is much more deep rooted it is much more vicious there is no way we can compare the two what i meant was colorism in terms of our complicity in perpetuating anti-black 
racism or at least being silent about it, if not perpetuating, being silent about it. Because sometimes our opinions are informed by how we perceive color. As South Asians, how we perceive color. So it's more holding ourselves accountable for our silence or maybe our lukewarm response to anti-Black racism. So I think if I'm understanding your question right, I think that definitely will start within from like our own people because in South Asian countries, we have Indians and Pakistanis who are and Bangladeshi who are from, you know, who their ancestors came from Africa. And now there are there are um, generations later, they're they're Pakistanis and they're they're living in Pakistan and they're born in Pakistan and, you know, they're spending their life in, in South Asian countries, including Pakistan, India and Bangladesh. Of course, they are mistreated over there because they're a minority. And I think that's a conversation we need to have within like our own community. I think that's how we can tackle it. I think if we see someone making any firstly there should be zero tolerance about racism like we should not be not racist anymore like it shouldn't be it shouldn't be that the 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 bar shouldn't be that low it shouldn't be oh yeah I've never made a racist comment I never I don't see color I don't see race I don't hear you know whatever um I don't contribute to those conversations that's not enough anymore you need to be anti-racist and to do that I think the first thing uh, it's like with anything you want to contribute to global warming you start with yourself if you want to contribute to um, racial conversations you want to bring justice you start with yourself you start with correcting yourself you start with correcting your circle y- your family and then you go from there then you then you know you contribute in more like other ways there's so many resources out there to help um, to th- through which you can help uh, different causes. So I think it's definitely a conversation that that we need to have within our community first. And it's a it's it, the the colorism complex in 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 South Asia. It's so it's it's so deep in our culture that sometimes we don't even realize it. Like I I didn't realize how big of a problem this is until very recently, until several years ago. Uh, even though. I have seen people comment about, oh, that girl is so dark. Oh, this girl, is, uh, she she has a really white skin, so she looks prettier. You know, like these kind of things. Even against boys. Um, so it's not limited to just girls. These kind of things, they, of course, damage a person in more than one ways. And so, for example, I was just thinking about this. For example, if we are sitting like on uh, at on Eid, let's say we our families are gathered up, like all different um, families are gathered up, and we're just having dinner or conversation, you know, like how if if let's say I were to say a cuss word there, right? Every all the uncles and the aunties would be like, oh my god, how can you even say that word <laughs> in front of children, especially? How dare you say that? Why why would they react this way? Because it teaches bad manners, right? But very openly, those the same uncles and aunties will have a conversation. Oh, that person is so black. Oh, that person is from that country. Oh, that person is, you know, like, uh, oh, that's an Arab, even though Arabs are brown as well. Oh, that's like, um, uh, you know, like these kind of like from uh, just, just 
just commenting about people's differences and thinking that you're better than that but then you you nobody will say to them that hey that's teaching that's worse than a cuss word because a cuss word is just a cuss word it's not a racial slur or it's not uh you know discrimination against someone it's just a word even though I'm not saying I'm not advocating for you know like cussing at the dinner table when your family's around, I'm not I'm not advocating for that. All I'm trying to say is that there are worse things people say, and it doesn't sound bad right there, in in that moment. But it is bad. If a if a child is there and if he's listening, if he or she is listening to what that uncle is saying about a black person or an Arab person, or a person from another country, any anyone like what they're gonna grow up on those values they are going to grow up listening to those stereotypes so um stereotypes or insults against another race i think we need to really monitor these things that's absolutely right and i completely agree with you that we have to have these conversations um within the confines of our homes first see how we have been complicit this is what i've been trying to do how we've been complicit either in silence or not being as vocal and not speaking up as much against um anti-black racism and i'm glad that so many people and communities are coming together and and forming allyship with the black community which is so important let's pivot a little you grew up in pakistan and you describe your childhood as a constant art workshop because your family was very supportive of you and your artistry which is great um i see that with my father as well um my my abu has always been um championing for whatever cause i've taken up and i'm so blessed not just my father my brother my husband it's like i've been surrounded by men who've always supported me which is a great thing coming from a patriarchal society many people don't realize how big a deal it can be but malia how did comparing your experiences to others shape your understanding of women's rights in pakistan because what you have the kind of rights that you were able to realize as you mentioned in the beginning many women can't so how did that inform your work so i'm still learning and growing as a person and every day i learn something um you know it's about checking your own privilege so you asked that how do i kind of um understand that what were my rights and what like how do i compare that to like other women who maybe didn't have the same rights or so i think it's about checking your privilege and then holding the other person's hand that you think is unable to voice their you know concerns or is unable to stand up for themselves i think it's very important not to speak on their behalf but just give them that kind of moral support so growing up i didn't honestly realize these things because it was never you know it's interesting it's i i i didn't obviously like i said that i i didn't realize it in that moment but i can recall some comments here and there where i was supposed to feel inferior just because i'm a girl in pakistan and i never felt like that in that moment i never thought that it's about gender i thought it's just about an individual you know maybe that person sees me as an inferior but now that i think about it now when my brain kind of connects connects those dots um i can see that it was definitely about gender and in a similar way now that the world is becoming a bit more 
you know, aware of the injustices that go around. And within Pakistan as well, we have uh, campaigns like the Aurat March, and we still have a really long way to go. Through Aurat March, uh, it was so eye-opening because in the first Aurat March, there was a sign that a girl was holding, and she said, "Apna khana khud garam karo, warm up your own food," and she was dragged through the mud on social media. She, she was just a meme for several months. And when the next uh, Aurat March came around, those trolls took out the same meme and then they reposted it. Um, and they were like, oh, so the women are going to say these kind of things because they thought that it's such a petty issue. But for that girl, maybe that's her biggest issue. Maybe she's trying to study and she's constantly being called to the kitchen to warm up the food. Maybe she's trying to have a job, but she was told, no, you're supposed to stay at home and stay in the kitchen. And maybe she was trying to, you know, like we don't know anyone's backstory. Maybe that was her biggest issue. And that's what empowerment is to her that, you know, if she doesn't have to do other people's chores, if she doesn't have to constantly do like other people's work, if she can't have that independence or that space or that freedom. So I think um, definitely it's a matter of checking your privilege. I may be in a, diff- a privilege in a different way than other Pakistani girls. And I think I really need to check my privilege. I need to see what I have, what others don't have, not in a in a comparison kind of a way, not in a way where I'm kind of, oh, uh, I have so much and the others have so little. Not like that. More like how I can help others in my community and uh, extend that hand of support so that they can raise their voice. Like I said before, it's not about speaking on someone else's behalf. It's about just making sure they're in a safe space where they feel safe enough to raise their own voice and raise their own. uh, Because women, like women have always had a voice. They've always had power. It it was just about uh, nobody listened to them, you know, for, for a while. Nobody listened to them. Nobody paid attention to what they were saying it like we have had fierce women since forever so it's definitely about checking our own privilege and also striking this balance between empowered women in Pakistan and those who are not because what I really like about your book is that it debunks that one dimensional perspective on Pakistani or Muslim women in the West most of the time women are seen as oppressed but your book basically is presenting a counter narrative that there are women out there who are empowered maybe through their struggles um, and they are um, showing allyship to other women let's talk about your generation generation z so you guys are reimagining feminism and human rights advocacy and i'm loving it oh, what do you think previous generations can learn from your generation? Uh, so before I answer that, I'm actually the oldest one of Gen Z. So Gen <laughs> Z is like from 19, 1995. So I'm like November 1995. So yeah, um, I literally like have to explain that um, because I'm kind of like in the middle of millennials and um, yeah, just like at the at the beginning of Gen Z. Um, but um, I think Generation Z, is, they, they have a very different way of thinking. And and one thing well social media has been around for a while but how gen z they don't they just don't have any filter you know if if i recall um the kind of child i was like in pakistan 
I would totally be seen as a total Batamiz disrespectful kid. But if if you take me out of Pakistan and you put me in a UK school setting or uh, an American school setting, I was seen as mature and straightforward. So there's a huge difference in how we see things within like different cultures. Um, and Generation Z, I think they're very good at, I think social media has made it a very safe space for them to say something because sometimes it's, it can be intimidating to say it in front of people. So when you're just talking to a camera and you don't know who's on the other side receiving the message, I think that's very easy. That can be a definitely a blessing, but at the same time, we need to be very responsible with social media because there's so many trolls online as well so we cannot be someone who spreads hate or you know spreads negativity but yeah i think social media has played like things like tiktok for example a few days ago with the trump for a rally in tulsa um, <laughs> yeah, on TikTok. I saw yeah i was just laughing so hard seeing all those tiktoks where people were like reserving you know all the all the different teenagers who are reserving tickets um for the tulsa and they had no plans of going and they were just using such funny names like of k-pop stars and um you know different singers and just yeah a bunch of cuss words as well so it's just amazing how they see things you know they don't they take things very seriously but how they approach a problem is very is, is very admirable honestly and i think what like the previous generation uh what they can uh learn is they can learn to listen i i grew up listening to this thing oh, you are not old enough, you're not, you're a little girl, you know, um, there weren't a lot of people who said that to me, but I'm sure there are other Pakistani girls who weren't allowed to say a lot, and they were just told, oh, you're, a, you're either a girl, and you can't say that, or you are a, a little girl, you can't say, you know, it's like so many limitations, so I think what, what, what the previous generations can do is have a collaborative mindset listen listen to what your kids or your younger siblings or you know like what what they're saying just listen to them what they're saying it won't take a lot of your time you don't have to agree with them but just listen to what they because it's a very fresh mindset they are i think a lot of uh, the world is progressing because of uh, a lot of tech social media is part of that and they, they, yeah, Gen Z is all over social media. So I think listen um, is what I would say for the previous generation and be a bit more collaborative towards, like have a collaborative approach. So Malia, in terms of the idea of respect, and you and I both come from Pakistan, different generations, mm-hmm. but we are both from Pakistan. This idea of respect is at the heart of what a family stands for because Pakistan is a collectivist society. And in order to preserve that structure, societal structure, it's important that there is some hierarchical notion of how you respect your parents and your elders and we see that in other east like even in eastern cultures as well how do you think generation z is redefining that because growing up i although i am from a different generation i used to argue with my dad and despite my dad being so educated and liberal sometimes it was not easy for him to reconcile with the idea that i would just question him on things now it's different how do you think Generation Z is redefining that um, in terms of how to respect your parents and elders? I think 
that's a huge um, credit that goes to the parents as well. Because like you said, that your father was, it was difficult for him sometimes to, uh, you know, being an educated person himself, but it was sometimes difficult for him to like, you know, when you used to counter him or, so I can totally relate to that because my father has always had an open door policy where I was never one stop to voice my opinion. So I think it goes, a huge credit goes to the parents as well, where they are, they are, uh, they're as, they're completing their responsibilities as a parent. They're doing everything to, you know, what a, what a good parent does. But at the same time, and obviously this is not, this doesn't go for all, all parents. Um, right. This is like only a few good ones um, because you have like some, yeah, some, some bad cases over there as well. But yeah, I think it's all about giving that confidence to your child that, okay, it's okay to say something because if it's okay to say something at your home, which is supposed to be the safest place, it's okay to say something out there. So you're able to stand up for yourself as well. I think Generation Z has been given that confidence from their parents. And I think I see those families a lot happier as well. They they are so much more closer than with their with their parents than, you know, just treating their uh, their fathers, especially like someone not to mess with, you know? Like, why is it so serious in the house? It's just a family. He's not... A dictator in the house like it's a, he's a father but I think it's the father that needs to I think a lot of it contribute a lot of it comes from in the previous generation comes from the fact that mother used to be the one at home spending all the time with the kids and father used to be the one working and um, you know when he came home he was all tired and a bit grumpy and you know all of those things so it, like these things contribute uh, as well but of course like it's it's an effort from uh, more from parents side because Kids are, they're, they're obviously like when they're younger, they cannot kind of just have these big conversations that, oh, why am I not allowed to talk in front of, you know, it's just kind of implied and then it becomes a habit. But I think a Generation Z is different because they have that confidence that if I say something and my parents don't agree with it, I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't get uh, a beating, you know, or I wouldn't get, <laughs> uh, I wouldn't get yelled at or, you know, um, uh, like they would still respect my opinion even if they don't agree with me they would still extend me that courtesy that okay you're you you've been heard um so yeah let's talk about your art because i am obsessed i follow you on instagram and the best thing about your art is it's from all over the world it started off with like like Pakistani women and all, but I see so much diversity and you pick these issues and topics and then you make them your own and you express them through your portraits and you use bright, loud colors in your portraits. Is this a conscious artistic decision you made or is it something that comes to you naturally because you just want it to be more vibrant? Uh, thank you so much for your kind words and, you know, the support. So with my art, I'm always very aware of that I need to have diversity. And it's always been that way. Even, I think even way before then, I knew what diversity was. Um, the meaning of this word diversity. Because my art became super serious when I started uh, coming across these major issues around the world like in the middle east and uh, you know just islamophobia or um you know racial issues or just any societal issues or women women's rights and 
So when I started coming across, and because of social media, I came across these things because, yeah, no, no teenager is sitting around watching news. So when I was a teenager, that's when my art at 13 and 14, like it started getting super serious for me. And I was learning about these different issues through social media. And that's when I thought that I need to do something to contribute. And that's when my art came in handy. I said, okay, like maybe I can create an art, sell that, donate uh, the money, or I can create art and spread awareness. And you know, like these kind of things. But eventually what kind of stuck with me was that we're all one and we need to stand up for each other and for ourselves so that's where that factor of diversity comes in I just think that I cannot leave out anyone when it comes to my art it's not limited to anything and yes I have a few causes that are super close to my heart like women's rights um domestic violence, violence against women, um, education for children, um, especially because I'm Pakistani, we have the sec- we're the second country where we have the highest rate of kids not being, in, you know, being educated. So this is something that's close to my heart. But honestly, any kind of injustice, like my art is not limited to that. Why colors? I think it's kind of like, it's not, it's not a conscious decision, but it's kind of like, I'm just so attracted to color. So I'm a traveler and when I go somewhere, it inspires me. Well, I haven't traveled in forever thanks to quarantine. But um, but yeah, when that inspires me. And traveling is something that me and my father, we bonded on uh, like crazy. And now that I'm married, that's something that me and my husband, we love to do together as well. So traveling is a very positive part of my life um even as a broke student like I try to somehow (laughs) manage how to travel uh thanks to Europe like within Europe traveling is um you know a bit cheaper so yeah I think that's where the bright colors come in it's honestly sometimes uh, like nobody sees the behind the scenes where I like rip so many drawings off the page yeah I just like throw so many um drawings off my table just rip them off and yeah yeah, when when I when I like a final piece, it's usually big, bright, loud, loud colors that I like to portray through my paintbrushes and colors. And Malia, you're studying in the UK, and I was watching one of your interviews where you talk about how when you first moved there, artistic space provided you solace because you felt lonely, and this is such an important point because many time, many a times when. We move from our countries who are where we grew up, where we were born, to a new country, and um, we adopt that as our home. We are lonely at times. I was very lonely in the beginning, and there is some kind of, um, I would say, societal alienation in the beginning. You're just learning. People are learning to share those spaces with you. Um, how was that experience like, and what did your art reflect initially when you moved to UK? Was it um, more based on what you were feeling at the time? Um, so as you said that, you know, you shared your experience, and I think a lot of immigrants, uh, immigrant children or immigrant families I think they even if they move as a family I think they can understand that feeling of isolation and just the cultural shock I guess and yeah art became I was 14 at the time and as I said 13 14 my art became like super serious um and 
I think I was just, I, I remember some of the paintings that I was doing. I was working a lot with charcoal at the time. And I think charcoal for me, when I think about charcoal, it, it kind of, it, it to me, it's a very anxious, like if charcoal was a feeling, it would be anxiety. Yeah, for, for me. Um, and that's why I guess bright colors reflect my mood right now or my mental health right now uh if you see me use charcoal <laughs> just, <laughs> um, just understand that maybe I'm going through something <laughs> but yeah I remember using a lot of charcoal when I was 14 and uh I, I I don't exactly remember the things I used to paint but I remember the medium and I remember being in the library and just having that feeling of constant homesickness um just even though it was a move to another country, I was just kind of like, when is this going to end? And it was never going to end because, yeah, you moved. What is next for you artistically or academically? Because you are doing your master's, right? Oh, actually, I'm doing my undergrad right now. I'm completing my undergraduate degree, yeah, in neuros- in medical neuroscience. So, okay, so let me rephrase it. <laughs> You're doing your undergrad. Uh, what is next for you artistically or academically? I have big plans and right now I have just finished my final exams for the semester and I'm like done for the summer with uni and with online classes as well so um, I'm just focusing on uh, completing some of my art projects one of them is um, my next book uh, which features 100 women of color from 30 different countries so I'm very excited about that and to share more details about that academically once inshallah I finish my degree or at least when I'm like in my last year I want to start an organization that focuses on um, middle class and lower middle class and uh, women in Pakistan and women and children and uh, within that organization I really want to focus on mental health and teaching them um, a few skills that they can use and maybe translate them into entrepreneurial skills as well and also I want to share the joy of art with them because even if you're a housewife in Pakistan firstly you're not appreciated you are seen as someone I mean housewives in general I think stay-at-home moms or housewives you're just someone sitting at home chilling I guess Um, but that's not true at all they have a billion jobs to do but at the same time they never they never even think that oh maybe i should take this workshop maybe i should take this gym class maybe i should take this yoga class i'm talking about in pakistan middle class women lower middle class women it doesn't occur to them what self care is so within the organization i also want to have a, a section where i want to introduce art i mean of course they would know what art is but i want to introduce art to them as a therapy you know that if you paint even if you don't know how to paint this is something that you can do for fun because that's what art was for me. I was super lost. I was in my head. I was just all chaotic. And that was that was art gave me a lot of purpose in a time when I didn't. And especially as a teenager, you know, like as a teenager, you're already a bit uh, messed up in your head. <laughs> but um, but yeah, I think that's what I want to there. I have big plans for my organization. And, you know, I want to build a team made out of people from my community and I want to help people from my community and inshallah I see myself working really hard on it and eventually um, spreading it across the globe as well. And you mentioned mental health which is such an important topic and tabooed 
not just in Pakistan, everywhere. So it's very important to talk about mental health, to talk about self-care. People think, you know, all this is like, these are fluff words and they are not. This is such an important topic to talk about, especially in countries like Pakistan. So Maliha, before we end, I was just again on your Instagram and I saw that you're accepting commission work. So where can people reach you? What is your IG? Can you give us some information so that people who are interested, they can reach out to you directly? Yes, for sure. So um, they can reach me on Instagram at Maliha's Art. So that's um, Maliha, M-A-L-I-H-A underscore said underscore art, A-R-T. Wow, I forgot the spelling of art. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, yeah, they can reach me out uh, with the same uh, username on TikTok and Twitter. And my website is just maliaabdi.com. Thank you so much, Malia. This was so good. And keep doing the wonderful work that you're doing. Thank you so much for having me on your podcast, Nadia. And you're also doing such amazing things. So thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you guys for listening to Malia's story. I will be bringing a lot more stuff this season, more inspiring stories. As for Maliha's work, you can check her Instagram. We will be posting information about that. And if you have any questions about her work, you can reach out to her. We'll be posting all information about her on all our social media platforms. And until next time, when we come back with another story, stay safe and stay distant.